Good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys. Thank you. All right. It's good to gather together. Uh, what a day. Kids singing. Christmas Eve's coming. I mean, it's, it's happening, right? Uh, Christmas is here. Better yet, uh, we get to gather this morning as a church family and meet with the living God. That's a lot to celebrate. We get to meet with our Redeemer and go to him and think of him. Well, as we, uh, as we finish up, as Pastor Barry mentioned, this is the fourth week in uh, Advent. And we are, uh, we're, this is our final week of Advent, and then we culminates at Christmas Eve. Uh, but this morning, we're continuing the story of Jesus in Luke's gospel in chapter two. So you can turn there if you'd like to follow along. Uh, as a kid, Christmas morning, I think, has to be one of the most universally palpable experiences that many children share. If, you're, if, if you grew up in a household where uh, that was a big deal um, and where there were a lot of presents and uh, maybe Santa was involved, uh, that was, th- there, there's just uh, something about that that you remember and can identify with. When I was a kid, we... We lived in different towns for both sets of our grandparents. Um, and so usually we would take turns. One year we would, we would be uh, in one town with one set of grandparents uh, for the actual day of Christmas. And then the next year we'd, we'd go back and forth, right? So, but then that meant that as, a, as my, my immediate family, we had to do our own little Christmas celebration uh, often a few days early before we would leave uh, to go out of town. And so I, I was always floored by Santa's ability to keep it all straight. Like he's gotta, he's gotta figure out when we're leaving, he has to know, like I don't know how this works. Um, but I, I, st- I still remember my, my dad going into our house to see if Santa had come while we were at the Red Lobster. And uh, there's really not a lot better than, that a night could hold than an evening at the Red Lobster and to come home to Santa. Um, so yeah, this was uh, the anticipation in that moment I mean, and then what was to come uh, in, in, in the moments to come, ground zero for joy, right? What an experience. I mean, there would be laughter and gift giving and music. Uh, and then it would all be followed by that common feeling of, that was great, right? Merry Christmas. It's over, right? I think I'm just gonna go play with my toys now. Uh, and, and then, you know, after, after a few days, it's... January again. And then a few months later, oh, Christmas is getting close again. Like, I mean, that was the cycle. Uh, and just like about any moment in life, the, the anticipation may or may not be matched by the actual moment. And sure enough, every Christmas joy, every Advent season, every trip to drive through some new light thing or gonna go to Prestonwood and see the whole light spectacle, uh, it, the, it, it always winds down. It always ends. That's, there's, there's always the next morning, the next week. It's always the Christmas fade. But I think if we key in and we listen to the anticipation and to the longing in our own hearts, there's a little parable that's happening every Christmas. And, and it's, more than Christmas, it's more than presents on, on Christmas morning. There's something deeper than, than candlelight services. And, and, and even, even Advent candles and all of the, the lights and the festivities, better even than family and friends. 
Now, just underneath all of our anticipation, there, there's an altogether Christmas story being told. If only we would have ears to hear. And so today, I, I want us to look uh, at the morning after the first Christmas, or really more like the week and the month after the first Christmas, after the incarnation of Jesus. And I want us to see four things in our text. Number one, Christmas is not normal. Number two, Christmas is for those who long. Number three, Christmas is war. And number four, Christmas is still to come. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us? Would you help us by your spirit uh, to, would you draw us in and, and, and draw our, our hearts, our, our affections, our, all of our attention, all of our thinking away from whatever else it is uh, that is, has, is, is drawing us today? And, and would you pull us into the story that, that you have unfolded for us? Would you pull us into the gospel? Would you pull us into your son? And would we find our story wrapped up in his? Would we anticipate and long for him above all things? So would you, would you do this today for us? Would you help us by your spirit? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, number one, Christmas is not normal. So we see here in verse 21 at the beginning of our text today that when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, that's always a great place to start, uh, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. I, I wonder if they woke up the next morning and, and Mary was like, hey, hey, Joseph, was, was I dreaming or did some shepherds show up in the middle of the night? And did they come to adore our baby? What were they doing? Did they really say that an angel army showed up and told them to come? So that really happened. That wasn't just some crazy postpartum dream. Um, okay. How do you move on from that? I mean, it's the biggest night of your life. I mean, you guys know what the morning after a big event is like when uh, there's a big wedding or a funeral or a graduation and they're waking up after the birth of the Messiah. And now it's like, all right, so what now? How do you move forward from the incarnation of the Son of God? Well, you eat breakfast, you move forward. That's what humans do. And Jesus was a human. And so they woke up day after day and his family was a Jewish family and they did what Jewish families would do. And so on the eighth day when they woke up, like all good Jewish families, they circumcised their son as a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham's descendants. And then they gave him his name, Jesus, just like the angel had said. And anytime a Jewish baby was born, the law of Moses prescribed certain days of purification for the mother, which would have been 40 days after giving birth to a son. And the parents were then to go and make sacrifice at the temple. We see this in verse 22. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I think we should see this as both fascinating 
and really normal. Here we have the Son of God, the incarnate God-man, and he is, number one, doing very normal things. Very normal things. He's being carried into the temple, participating in all the things a good Jewish baby would have. We see Mary and Joseph offering doves and pigeons as a purification sacrifice, which was probably a more typical offering of a poorer family, because that's who they were. And then in a couple of verses, they will present Jesus in the temple. This is something commanded of every firstborn Jewish male, a picture of the first fruits being given to the Lord. Sometimes mothers, we'd see this in the Old Testament, would, would literally give their sons to serve in the temple. But usually, uh, instead of leaving their sons there, they would present them and then they would offer a sacrifice to redeem their son back and take him, take, take him home with them. Now, this isn't normal stuff to us, uh, but this is an altogether normal trip for these new Jewish parents. So they're doing normal stuff. Number two, though, this is not normal. <laughs> this is anything but normal. Think of what's happening here. Jesus is being brought into the very system, the world of temples and priests and animal sacrifices. And that very system is what the book of Hebrews calls shadows pointing to the substance. Well, guess who's the substance? Jesus, the redeemer, who's being redeemed back by his parents. I mean, it's just, there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening here, right? Shadows, Meet substance. He's here. So yes, very normal, but also super wild. It's like the key master walking up and running into the gatekeeper. It's like stepping into the matrix with your good pal Neo. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. Mary and Joseph are carrying in the flesh and blood fulfillment, the very one that all these shadows and symbols had pointed to. And they're doing so in order to be obedient to the customs and laws that have been given to them. All the while carrying the one who would fulfill all of the law. Galatians says this very thing about Jesus, that, that, he, that, that God sent his son at this exact time so that he could be born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And, and we can see it. Like we can recognize what's happening and because we have the testimony of God's word. Uh, but, and maybe Mary and Joseph had some idea of, of the immensity of this moment, maybe, but probably not a lot of, not understanding a lot of it. And it's cer- it certainly would have been hazy for them. But everyone else who's here, this is just a day. It's just a day in the temple, a day in the town square. There was one person though, one person noticed and at least the number two, that Christmas is for those who long. In this very regular Jewish moment, there's one man in the scene who by the Holy Spirit sees this moment for what it really is. With spiritual eyes, he perceives exactly what is happening. And as you can imagine, when he sees it, he worships. I mean, isn't that what would happen if you and I could see spiritual reality this morning. Because guess what? The God of the universe, he's, he's here. He's meeting with us. 
He, he's come to us. Don't be lulled to sleep in this room by the paint, the beautiful paint. Don't be lulled to sleep by the lovely carpet and the chairs and, and the screen and the band. On this very normal 11 a.m. service, the Lord of the universe is here. Tomorrow morning, on your very normal morning, when you wake up and you make a cup of coffee and you open God's word, the one who made the Bible is with you. May, may God grant us spiritual eyes to see this, to believe this reality and to treasure it. God exists. And Hebrews says he's the rewarder of those who seek him. He's not hiding from you. He is himself the reward. He, he has not forsaken those who would seek him, Psalm 9 tells us. And now let's look at this man who, who saw with that sort of clarity. In verse 25, so there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It seems like there's a pretty strong connection being made here between God's spirit being at work in someone and that person longing for the coming comfort of God. People who truly see who the Lord is and see him for who he is, they're those who are looking forward. Those who are looking not to next year, not to the new gadget, not to a better house or even to what's under the tree, they are the ones who, those who see the Lord are those who are longing for something deeper, something more permanent. How does Luke describe Simeon's life? Righteous, devout, the Holy Spirit upon him. Why? Because his life was not wrapped up in this life. His life was wrapped up in the life to come. The coming consolation of Israel where justice would come and evil would be defeated. What a relief that will be when the Messiah will shut the mouth of death and enslavement. This is what Simeon longed for when God's promises would be fulfilled for Israel. God always has men and women like this. Even in this period of the scriptures, when faith seemed hard to find in Israel, when corruption had infiltrated even the temple, God always has faithful men and faithful women. He always has a remnant, those who still long for his coming. And may we not forget those promises. May we long for that day. Look what Simeon was clinging to in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Simeon was looking for the Messiah. And we don't tell Simeon's story at Christmas, do we? He doesn't get any yard art. Uh, do it. Like, make a Simeon yard art. Go for it. Next, you got plenty of time before next Christmas. Uh, he's right here in the story. I mean, we get the shepherds and the wise men right there in somebody's yard. Somebody's got them in your yard and probably in this church. Uh, why not an old Jewish man holding up a baby? Who does the Lord send looking for Jesus after he's born? So yeah, we get the usual suspects. We get the shepherds. The angels show up and they say, look for the baby in a manger. The wise men, they find a star. They follow it to find Jesus, but they don't show up for two years. And, and then God warns them in the dream, right? Not to go back to Herod. 
But we have Simeon here about a month after the birth of Jesus and the spirit reveals to him that he would see the Messiah. And then the spirit guides him into the temple. And the scriptures don't tell us what Simeon was looking for. It wasn't a manger, it wasn't a star, but whatever he was looking for, when he saw Jesus, he found it. He knew. And when Simeon held Jesus in his arms, it must have been electric. What a thing to hold in your hands the promise of God. To, to look into the face of the answer to your many prayers. To hold the salvation of God, the God-man himself in your arms. And we read about it in, in verse 27. Guided by the spirit, he entered the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform from what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God. He, he worshiped. Of course he did. And then, and then this is no customary blessing that he offers here. He says this. Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Talk about a weary world, a weary old man rejoicing. So, so what is Simeon saying here? He's saying, Lord, I did my job. I'm done. I've lived in darkness. You've told me to wait. And I can see it now. I see the sun coming up. My eyes have seen your salvation. As Cat Stevens once said, I am old, but I am happy. I can sit in my rocker now and smile while I listen to the hoofbeat of knowing God's salvation army is on its way. What a cool picture. And what a telling statement he makes. This is not just a Jewish savior coming for a Jewish kingdom. No, he calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Who has the Messiah come for? He's come, Simeon says, in the presence of all peoples. This is an all peoples savior. Yes, this is glory for Israel, for God's people. It's what Simeon's saying. It's what we've longed for. But the light of Jesus it can't just, he can't just shine his glory on Judah and Israel alone any more than the sun can just shine its light on one little town. No, he's too bright for that. The light of Jesus has risen and this dawn of salvation history, soon this light is gonna fill up the sky. His glory will be for all peoples. Christmas is for those who long for the promises of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that all of life is Advent. It's all awaiting. And he wrote that from prison. And so we, we, we're waiting. So don't be dulled in your waiting. For, don't be dulled by lesser hopes. Don't be caught up by cheap satisfaction. Yes, enjoy your life here. Have a Merry Christmas, but with a steady and holy discontent, a giddy anticipation of the Christmas that is to come. 
which leads us to number three. Christmas is war. In verse 33, we read, his father and mother, Jesus' father and mother, were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. So think of all the words that they just heard. Simeon is praising God. He's, a, he's saying all these things about Jesus, that he's a glory for Israel. He's a light to all peoples. And they're amazed. And I, I can just imagine, it's not that they haven't heard some of these things, but I can imagine uh, Joseph saying to Mary, hey, that angel told us some of this stuff, but how does this guy know? What is happening? This is too amazing. And as Simeon blesses them in the midst of their warm, Merry Christmas smiles, almost with a degree of secrecy or urgency, Simeon turns to Mary then in verse 34 and he says this. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So there's a lot of good stuff happening here. All the stuff we sing about, light of the world, oh, night divine, all the wonderful notes of Christmas, but all is not merry and bright. This is not the sappy Bing Crosby white Christmas. This isn't the moment in the Hallmark movie where the snow starts coming. No, there, there is brokenness to come. A rising and a falling that will come. There is pain on the way, even for Mary. This little baby light of the world, he is the opening salvo of an impending war. If there is to be peace on earth, Christmas must be war. The prince of the power of the air has reigned far too long. He has been on display through tyrants, through Caesars, and behind the scenes through dominions and principalities of this age, and many will bow the knee to such earthly power. Oh, but the overthrow is coming. This is the, the consolation Simeon was longing for. The real king has come, and he is no Caesar. Power like that must be struck down, and it's gonna be struck down by the word, uh, the sword of truth, the son of God. He will cause the rise and the fall of many. But Mary knew this already, didn't she? She had just sung, he will scatter the proud. He will send the rich away empty. He will topple the mighty. But perhaps she didn't know that to redeem people, it would be bloody. Imagine the pain that this redemption was going to bring Mary and Simeon is warning her, this will pierce your own soul. Can you imagine being the, the, the weight and the anxiety of being the mother of the Messiah, the suffering servant, one who would be opposed? I, th I think it probably has to feel a little bit like being the mother of someone who you're sending off to war. But isn't this war something we required this, this war against the principalities and powers that held us captive would be the sword that would pierce joint and marrow, that would cut to the quick of all men. 
Jesus is the sword of light that will expose the realities of even my inner self, that will destroy my sin. And to do so, he must pierce even me, even you. The author of Hebrews uses similar language in Hebrews chapter four, there's this passage we always use in speaking in regards to the Bible, uh, but listen to the similarities here in verse 12 of Hebrews four. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we often stop there But the passage keeps going, as many do. And verse 13, we read, no creature is hidden from him. From him, not from the Bible, but from him, from the word made flesh. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The the person of Jesus, the word of God, he will not leave you alone. He will cause you to rise or to fall. He will bring to light even your sin. But by his cross, he waged war on our sin so that you might be free. The power of sin and hell and the grave would not go down without a fight. And in this war, the the heel of the Savior King himself must be struck. Yes, he will put down the mighty of this world. Yes, he will crush sin and death and the evil one, but his salvation doesn't come cheap or free. He himself must suffer. The savior himself must first be taken down so that he might destroy evil for good, that he might take down the power of sin and death. Christmas is war, but it is the war that we needed. Martin Luther wrote this great hymn about that war called The Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in the second verse of that hymn, it says, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And then he goes on in the next verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And Jesus the little word of God by his death, our victory is won. And the coming of Jesus, the war anthem of Christmas has begun. Number four, Christmas is still to come. So here at the end of our story, when we meet someone new, get a new character in our story today. In verse 36, we read, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. 
Uh, what a cool woman. I, I, when I read of Anna, I, I can't help but think of, of, of my grandmother, who's actually here today. She's in town with us today. She's celebrating uh, Christmas here with us for a few days. And, but I remember as a kid, uh, when we would be at, at my mamaw's house uh, for Christmas, uh, we would, you know, as a young kid, you wake up early, right? You, er, not early, you don't go to sleep. And at 2 a.m., you get up, right? And you're just, I'm gonna sneak around the house. What are you gonna do? I don't know, uh, but I'm gonna sneak around the house. Um, and there is my grandmother sitting in her rocking chair with the laundry going, She's working on laundry, like 2 a.m. She'll be up in like three hours probably. And what does she have? She has her Bible open on her lap. Like, I still remember that. It's still such an image for me to see her. And I think of her when I think of Anna. And Anna is here serving God's people. Uh, She's much like Deborah uh, and other prophetesses that we see in the Old Testament. And likely she's one of the last ones around at this time. And and she was old. I mean, old, (laughs) Uh, like married seven years. I don't know if you caught this in the, in the passage. Married seven years, a widow for 84 years. I, I didn't do the math on this. She's over 100 years old though. This is an old lady. Um, if you think you're old, you're young compared to Anna. Um, I don't think we have anybody over 100 years old with us this morning. If we do, please correct me because we want to rejoice in that. Um, but, uh, and she sees what's happening and look what happens. At verse 38, at that very moment, She came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So first she praises God, she worships. This is is like a theme. But then she says, I know some people that are waiting for this. They're looking for this. And immediately at that very moment, Luke says, she begins to tell him. She's telling him, "I, I know you're enslaved. I know you think life is birth, pain, and death, but there's redemption coming for Jerusalem. There's freedom for captive people. Salvation is here. Christmas is coming. The redemption of Jerusalem, that's, that's God's people. The, the, that's the freedom of God's people. Think, think about their enslavement for just a minute. Why, why do they long for a redemption? Did they not still practice their Jewish meals and feasts? Did they not still worship? Did they not still sing songs and remember holy days? Well, sure, just so long as Romans allowed them to do it. As long as Romans said, yeah, you can do that. In all of their living, all of their worshiping, all of their feasting even, over the back of their shoulder and in the back of their mind, is this occupying force of Rome and then the many brutal forces that had come before that. There's that sinking feeling that they would never truly know what it was like to not be afraid, that they would never really truly regain what they had lost. And on top of that, there's the crushing weight of sin that they feel, that with every animal sacrifice, Tomorrow's sin would just require another. Who can rescue us from this body of death? C.S. Lewis described this feeling in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when he said that Narnia had been cast under a mighty spell where it was always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. 
This is how they felt. That life is winter, but never Christmas. Always Advent, always waiting, but never resting. Never rejoicing. Always, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but never the weary rejoicing. This is why I love to imagine this old woman, Anna, running. As fast as her 100 plus year old legs would carry her so that she could find anyone who would listen. Why? Because for the first time, she could, she could hear the marching army of God's salvation on the way. It wasn't the click, click, click of reindeer up on the roof. No, she could feel the ground shaking with the salvation forces of God rolling in, coming to free those in chains. Christmas is coming. The freedom brought by the Son of God is coming. Jesus can't talk yet, but he will soon speak words of freedom. Just hold on. Your king is here. He's coming. And and this is what Simeon longed for. The Messiah who will wage war against the oppressor, who will break the tyranny of all that has gone wrong, the one who is going to set everything right. And when Anna speaks to those who longed for the redemption of Jerusalem, she also heralds to us. This is what we need. Christmas is coming. Christian, what what has been lost to you? As you celebrate at Christmas, as you sing songs of peace on earth, where does the specter of pain and division and death still just linger over you, still haunt you. Your king of peace is coming. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's something else that's, that's brought brokenness to your life. Maybe you're left being separated from family members at Christmas. Maybe it's the crushing pain of depression that haunts you or an anxiety that you just can't, Escape and comfort and joy. These seem like distant dreams. Christmas is coming. Maybe it's someone you've lost. Maybe, maybe this is the first Christmas that you're experiencing without someone that you love and it just feels empty. That no amount of celebration or cheer will stay the pain of death. It's nipping at your heels, nipping at your quiet soul. Your Lord is coming. A newborn baby came as the forerunner for the mighty peace of God. And his baby hands and his tiny little arms will soon carry the hopes of all of our souls. He is our salvation. He will bear our sins on his cross and he will set all things right as he raises from the dead. He came in the quiet. But when he comes again, it will not be quiet. And Anna runs to those who haven't seen him yet. And she says, your king is here. Christmas is coming. Anglican pastor R.T. France said it this way. In his coming, the last day to which the Old Testament looked forward arrived. But... The Christian church is still living in this eschaton. Jesus' first coming inaugurated it. 
His second coming will consummate it. The coming of Jesus was therefore the beginning of the end. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And his first advent is a warning shot across the bow of death. And now we look to the empty tomb. We look to our risen king. And and if you listen closely, you can hear the salvation anthem playing. It's coming. And when he arrives again, death will be destroyed and we will dwell in his peace forever. Oh, Christmas is still coming. And so the old Christmas carol says, as that faint salvation song still feels far away, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Christians, may may we long like Simeon. May we long like Anna for our victorious king. Oh, he's coming. Christmas is still coming. Let me pray for us. Father, that we, we need eyes that would see. We need hearts that would, would perceive the reality that you have not forgotten us, that you are indeed with us now and that you will come again, that, that Jesus will come and that all things will be set right, that our lives, though, though turbulent, that we will experience the rest that Simeon felt as he saw his salvation. So Father, would you grant us peace not in the removal of or the the altering of our circumstance, but in the King of Peace himself, the one who is coming, the one who has come and will come again. And so, Father, would you lead us now as those who long to look to our King and to wait for him? We love you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.